Welcome to the Imago Day podcast, the show of philosophical and theological reflections for today's world. I'm your host, Lewis, and I am joined by Professor Joseph Terry. Joe, how are you today? Doing well, enjoying the fall, and uh, happy to he- be here with you. Today we are wrapping up our conversations on Catholicism and Joe's experience into Catholicism. Joe, we start off our conversation hearing your testimony and your journey into the Catholic faith. Um, And then we also talked in part two about Mariology and Mary's place within the Catholic Church and the differences between Mm -hmm. the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. Now, Joe, today um, we wanted to kind of wrap up this discussion talking a little bit more about your experiences and um, some of the many questions that I have about Catholicism. I wanted to ask you about your experiences as you made the shift from Protestantism to Catholicism. Um, what type did you have? Like any type of positive or negative experiences as you were making that shift? Like, were there people in your circle who found it kind of strange that all of a sudden, like, now you're mm-hmm. Catholic? And what happened, Joe? Like, what were some of those experiences like? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just beginning with my own. Um my own uh, particular inner experience, it, was, it wasn't easy. Um, it was, in fact, it was very difficult, um, mainly because while uh, intellectually, as I've mentioned a few episodes back, I've read my way into the church, intellectually it made sense. Um, my, my experience with Catholicism, both before uh, I was uh, a Protestant evangelical and during uh, um, that time, was always marked with a kind of poverty, if I can put mm. it like that. Um, that is to say, I would I would observe Catholicism through the people uh, who were indeed uh, self-identifying Catholics as just so like really sad. Um, mm. It didn't seem to me to be a any real discipleship going. I saw a lot of um, duplicity or just a self kind of identity, like, okay, yes, I'm Catholic, maybe even uh, folks going to mass, but the the tenor of their life and the decisions that they would make on a daily basis and all of that there didn't seem to reflect the identity uh, of, of their spiritual lives. And so, whereas for the, the within a kind of evangelical context, which I ended up um, coming into right in the, in the summer of two thousand and three, mm-hmm. that really wasn't the case, right? With folks who would identify as such, um, sometimes, especially back in the day, it was this this phrase of "born again, I'm born mm-hmm. again," was this um, among other things a visceral realization that these folks are really about this life. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're really mm-hmm. walking the walk. And and not because many of them were obnoxious about quoting the Bible and talking about Jesus constantly uh, in, in times and spaces that were perhaps off-putting or inappropriate, but because you even in their own decisions and, 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 and the, you know, their lives, there was a clear difference than the rest of what I would observe in the world. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I I always carried that. I always I always, you know, um, uh, held that in my heart, and that validated my presence 
within evangelicalism, right? That that really gave me the space to remain a Protestant um, and to continue in that, even though over those years I was discovering more and more the apostolic church, the ancient church, um, the Christianity that Jesus and the apostles established, which, uh, again, fr from an intellectual perspective, uh, from the perspective of history and whatnot, seemed very distinct mm -hmm. from the Protestant isms that I was floating through mm -hmm. um, in those years. So this is why the shift was hard. Um, you know, how could I, how could I, make my way, even though the evidence started to mount up and 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 it found its high point in, in 2019 where I needed to make this decision. But how could I uh go into a church that notwithstanding its 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 <laughs> its um uh peppered history mm -hmm. uh and, and what I understood to be the history at the mm -hmm. time, but also mainly um, so many, so many. In fact, here in New York City, right, Catholicism, in a sense, is ubiquitous, right? Everybody is Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. of course, you know, given the demographics and whatnot, that's you know, um, and, and but yet there isn't this clear uh, um, evidence in their lives that that when they participate in the sacrifice of the mass when th that they re that that they are really aware that this is the body and blood soul and divinity of of, of the lord why do you um, why do you think that, that is like yeah. do you think it was a misunderstanding that you had at the time or do you think it's just like catholicism is treated more like a like a membership to an organization rather than a relationship with christ like what what's your take on it yeah, you know, it's, it's a great question as I as I sit here and think about it. Um, I think, you know, I think uh, part of the issue is difference in culture, mm. difference in the way Christianity is lived out within Catholicism. Mm. And if I can extend that to our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters and Coptic Christians and uh, other apostolic churches, there's a there's a cultural difference than it is within the Protestant evangelical reality. Mm -hmm. But at a deeper level, yes, there is this. You know, what what many of the past popes have articulated, and and many in, within the Catholic Church have said, and I think rightly, is that there has been a crisis of catechesis. Right, that is a, a fancy way of saying. Um, there are people who have been sacramentalized. They've been baptized. They've had confirmation, first communion, mm -hmm. right? They, they are in union, if you will, uh, with the sacraments, but they have not been converted. So you have sacramentalized pagans, if you mm -hmm. will, right? People who, who, who've gone through the motions, maybe because of a cultural, right? Act, you know, this is just what you do, how you were raised, but the faith didn't take root, or it didn't seem to be mm -hmm. the case, right? And and part of that is a, a a profound impoverishment with regards to the knowing of the faith, mm -hmm. right? That's what that right catechesis is a teaching, and so I think that's that's of course a major issue as well. There are other things, mm -hmm. but this for me for me was a major stumbling block. 
I mean, and 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 in fact, continues to be. Um, you know, the parish that I attend, uh, you know, it's a wonderful parish, Our Lady Queen of Martyrs here in Forest Hills, mm-hmm. and the other parishes that I frequent are are great in many respects. And and I am discovering more and more that folks are indeed truly living out their faith. It looks differently mm-hmm. and it is felt differently uh, from, let's say, the typical evangelical mm-hmm. uh, non-denominational context for a number of reasons. But all that said, I do sometimes wonder um, among my Catholic brothers and sisters um, whether or not they are living out the faith. Now, there's something profoundly presumptuous about that, mm-hmm. right? There's almost, there's something... You know, to, for me to, who am I to judge? That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to, mm-hmm. right? I, I can't peer into the heart and soul of, of any other person and then make a determination. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, Jesus does say, Jesus does say uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you discern the tree by the type of fruit it produces. Mm-hmm. And so when I don't see lives that line up with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of the magisterium of the mm-hmm. church, that that gets me to wonder, and and in fact become concerned, and 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 of course, this sometimes is an issue with uh, our wonderful priests uh, who may struggle when it comes to giving a, a good homily, a sermon, or a catechesis is very weak, or you know, mm-hmm. there's so so there are a number of things there, but not to to not get off the topic and to go into diagnoses. Mm-hmm. This this was and and still is uh, a difficulty for mm-hmm. me as a Catholic, but this was a decisive issue um, that I was facing coming into the Catholic Church. If I could boil it simply down to this, how could I leave the space of evangelicalism, which did so much to in ignite my faith in the mm-hmm. Lord, for church? that seems to really struggle in that area. Mm. The, and so that was the the question mm-hmm. that I that I that I had to deal with and, and talked with my wife about and and some other friends and, and wrestled there. Um so you've alluded to this, you alluded to shifting from evangelicalism to Catholicism, like taking a leap of faith and then finding um you describe as joys, treasures, and riches within Catholicism. So, what happened? Do you 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 were, sounded very skeptical um, <laughs> going or looking into the Catholic Church, and then you found something. How did you how did you navigate that? What were what were actions that you took, and what did you find? You know, um, before I get into what I found. Um, at least experientially, uh, in and through the sacraments of the church, what I came to understand through my reading and through my studies is that the folks that I admired deeply, um, St. Irenaeus of Leon, St. Maximus the Confessor, St. Gregory of Nyssa, and Nazianzus, right? Polycarp, St. Ignatius of Antioch, and so on and so on. Many of the uh, early fathers and doctors of the church, both East and West, lived a faith 
that was contrary to the faith that I was living as a Protestant evangelical. Wow. Maybe contrary is too strong of a word, mm. Lewis. Maybe that, that's too strong of a word, but but definitely distinct. Mm-hmm. What do you, <laughs> right? what do you mean by distinct? Different. Yeah. Um, their theology, their liturgy, their understanding of the sacrament of sacraments, that is the Eucharist, mm-hmm. their uh, understanding of authority by means of succession of the laying on of hands of bishops and this kind of unbroken chain, mm-hmm. right? And and that this is the true church in, in this succession from the apostles. Uh, the, their, their praying <laughs> to the Blessed Mother mm-hmm. and to other saints and, 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 and teaching others to do so, their uh, honoring and veneration of those who've gone before us in glory, the, the veneration of relics, of the bones of, of dead mm-hmm. saints, um, all of these things, you know, and it goes on and on and on that when I would read these um, individuals, I read their writings, I read these wonderful fathers and doctors. Of course, there were things that I loved and I was like, yes, yes, this is deep, right? This is mm-hmm. good because it, it, it resonated so profoundly with my own position as a Protestant, as in Catholic, mm-hmm. excuse me, as a evangelical. Mm-hmm. But then there were things that I was like, um... Can't wrestle with that. Can't rock with that. I can't rock with. I don't know what he. You know yeah. what I mean? As like, and, and and would do a number of intellectual gymnastics mm. to justify my continued presence within Protestantism, within evangelicalism, while acknowledging the patrimony uh, uh, of the ancient church uh, and kind of chewing the meat, but as I understood it, spitting out the mm-hmm. bones. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, oh, there were some accretions or some traditions that I can't really rock mm-hmm. with. Um, I'm thankful for Luther. I'm thankful for Calvin and the reformers because they gave us the pure distilled gospel word, right? And and while these early fathers uh, had much of that, they also had these accruciments, these accretions that that just kind of obscured certain things. Um, so so I recognize right there was a deep difference mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the more I read, the more I realized that. Mm, I, I think I'm the one now in, in a certain sense outside mm. of the perennial mm-hmm. tradition, the perennial patrimony of the ancient church, which ha- which has been established by the apostles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, for me then with that, um, the, the decision to come into the apostolic church Right in 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 union with the Bishop of Rome, mm-hmm. uh, the Pope, was at least intellectually very satisfying because there was for me this understanding that oh, now I'm going to be become part of the Church that 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 was that that is the Church that all these ancient fathers and doctors were a part of. Wow. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's now, you see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? They, it's like, oh, it's like almost like a return home. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, I needed to work out a number of things, uh, puzzles, questions. How do I square things mm-hmm. away? Uh, or, you know, how do I make sense of this coming, you know? But that was very satisfying intellectually. Um, I didn't feel like I needed to half step my theological thinking or make excuses, do all these weird things as an evangelical, as a Protestant, mm-hmm. 
um, you know, that, that one has to inevitably do mm-hmm. um, if, if you are to, to take seriously the patrimony of the, of the church, of the apostles. Um, do you have, um, do you have an, an example yeah. of something that you had to reconcile during this transition period? Like either uh, something that you read from one of the early church fathers um, that you really had to process and make a decision on as you entered the Catholic Church. Yeah. One one in particular that comes to mind, and there are many, there are many things mm-hmm. that I needed to process. Um, but one thing, of course, is the Blessed Sacrament, right? The the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord mm-hmm. under the sacramental sign of the bread and the wine. You know, Jesus says in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life in you. Mm. Um, as a Protestant, I read that, of course, um, as um, a beautiful metaphor uh, that pointed to the need for us to consume the fullness of the word of God, mm. <laughs> right? to consume Christ in his mm-hmm. word and in worship and to live in such a way with the recognition that I cannot live without him, that Jesus is the Jesus's flesh and blood is my life in, in that sort of metaphorical sense. Of course, you know, when I read the early church fathers, they were like, no, <laughs> right? Yes, of course that is included, but there is actually, this is not mere metaphor, mm-hmm. right? This actually comes back to the heart and soul of the Eucharist. So this was something that I needed to reconcile because I'm coming from a tradition within Protestantism, within evangelicalism that doesn't have that, real presence theology mm, right mm-hmm. of course so f- what i needed to do was okay what well, well, what does that mean as a evangelical as a protestant i don't have life i don't have the life of christ because i don't have recourse to the true communion mm. uh the true table mm-hmm. and what does that mean when we do that in in our mm-hmm. church and and in the many different protestant churches and different theologies around mm-hmm. that right so that was something i needed to to wrestle with and you know one of the beautiful things that you discover is that the church has thought about many of the many of these questions for many 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 mm-hmm. years right and when you when you have recourse to the catechism of the catholic church right which is a beautiful document put out you you see and the second vatican council what the church says about the separated brothers right our separated brethren protestant brothers right others um that that are beautiful in in the passion and, and the desire to love and worship the true God and to follow Christ and, and his precepts, but that there is indeed a separation because Protestants, uh, evangelicals, are not in full communion with the apostolic church, mm. right? Now, when you read that and you hear that as a Protestant, that makes you feel like... Uh, uh, it doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, like what do you mean? I'm an outsider? Yeah, I'm an outsider? That you do feel yeah, like an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, those are some of the things that I needed to wrestle with. And I recognize, wow, well, at least the Catholic Church acknowledges that there's a real faith there, mm-hmm. that these are indeed Christians. But because of certain historical events and all kinds of complicated issues, they have, they are outside of the fullness of the mm-hmm. faith as it's been handed down by the apostles. Yeah. See? So it, well, that's an example of, of one of the things I needed to square away and one of many, many mm-hmm. things. So in this particular example with the Eucharist, how mm-hmm. do you view it now? Like in, in light of your Catholic faith? 
Well, you know, as we record this, this is Friday. Um, yesterday, Thursday, we have um, adoration uh, over at Our Lady Queen of Martyrs in, in Forest Hills, where after the 12.05 Mass, the priest or the deacon will go ahead and, and expose the Eucharist for worship and for adoration, right? And that's to, to 7.30, where they have then benediction, 7.30 in the mm-hmm. evening. So I went yesterday, something that I tried to do, beautiful time. I go. I fall on my knees and I am before the blessed sacrament Mm. and I am adoring the sacramental Lord. I am worshiping the sacramental Christ. Mm. Now, anybody else coming in, they're like, what, what is this dude doing? (laughs) Kneeling in front of a cracker Mm. (laughs) in front of a host (laughs) that that's surrounded with like a golden monstrance. Mm. What the heck is this? Is this like idolatry here? Like, what do you do? Whose man's is this, right? (laughs) But the church, (laughs) the church is like, this is Jesus. Mm. This is the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I spent time with Jesus yesterday Mm. in a very real sense. Um, so so yes, I believe Mm. that. I believe that Jesus is truly substantially present. Uh uh, under the sacramental sign of the bread and the cup. Wow. And that when I receive mm-hmm. that, when I receive the sacramental sign, I'm receiving Jesus mm-hmm. truly, really substantially in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I believe that, of course, uh, in concert with the teaching of the church, do I have everything worked out in terms of my understanding? I'm still growing. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. journey. You know, it's, 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 it's a beautiful journey. But yes, in faith, I believe that. Um, it sounds like some of the joys that um, and riches you're experiencing from Catholicism are more than just like a knowledge or an academic one. It seems like a unique kind of experiential type of experience. I wanted to ask you about the um, the your perception of the Christian community because I I know you interact with well now that you're involved in the Catholic Church, but you're you're interacting with other Catholics and other uh, church leaders within the Catholic church, but you're also still in touch with um, Protestants and church communities that you were part of prior to joining the Catholic church. Have you found any um, joys and riches in being in community within both the the Catholic church and the Protestant church? It seems like a new type of community Uh experience for you as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me before I even go into like, you know, the the bridge that I that I have there, mm-hmm. the the experience of as a Catholic now experiencing uh my Protestant brothers and sisters. Um, let me just quickly identify some of the things that I really love mm-hmm. and I miss <laughs> about being an evangelical absolutely, Protestant, okay. right? I want to give a shout out. I mean, this is a real um, you know, the music. Oh, the music. Now, you know, when we talk about worship, there's a theology around that, right? And within the typical evangelical movement, worship is, for the most part, understood by means of a singing, sometimes of a raising of a hands. Uh, if you're a bit more robust in your thinking about that, of course, you will include the entire service as an act of worship, which includes the homily, includes the preaching and whatever. Mm-hmm. But but you know the the music is so wonderful. Mm. Oh, 
right? The crying out to the Lord, the, the, the lyrics. I have issues and I've had issues for a while with, 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 um, some of the content of the music within that comes out of the sort of, uh, popular Protestant evangelical movement. Like what? Can you briefly um, share that argument? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the lyrics are cheap. Mm. Oh man, that sounds bad, right? Uh, self-serving, <laughs> okay. emotive, emotive, mm. okay. right? Yeah. Yeah, kind of, you know, what God makes, you know, makes me feel and, you know, mm. and, um, but, but there's, there are two ways to see that, you know, you could see it also as a, as a distinct mode of, of communion with God mm. and just celebrating what God means to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are different ways in which you can read that, but I missed, I missed that beautiful music, you know, mm-hmm. um, I miss the substantial homilies, right. The, the sermons, mm-hmm. um, now sermons would typically run, um, where the church where I would pastor, right. A new life. Uh, in Elmhurst, mm-hmm. Queens, anywhere between 35 to 40 minutes, mm-hmm. right? And that's, on average, the kind of uh, length of time that would transpire when you would hear a Protestant sermon. It could go up to an hour, mm-hmm. maybe even an hour 15 if you're coming from a charismatic. Sure. It could come down to even maybe a 15-minute, depending, again, on the tradition and all of that there. But because the preached word is the center of the experience, the service of a Protestant— that that then therefore the words time is a bit longer and uh, there the the preaching also is geared towards catechesis right so there's a talking point but then there's like three other bullet point mm-hmm. three other things you want what are the major takeaways and da, 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 da. and so really the center of that experience is the homily um i don't miss that but i do miss the wonderful um sermons that would in fact come about mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um um the community the community uh that people would greet each other before and after that that there was this distinct realization that we need to be in this together right that's something i miss that's such a beautiful thing uh my catholic brothers and sisters it's it's very easy for us to come in to mass this is this the understanding of the mass our attention is focused towards the Lord and, and the Blessed Sacrament, preparing ourselves for what's about to, what's to take place, which is the Divine Liturgy, right? Which is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So there's a different posture, a different disposition that is cultivated among us uh, Catholic brothers and sisters and, and all uh, apostolic churches, both East and West. Um, and then after, there's an exiting what would be great is to have, and at least this is my experience at, at the particular parish that I attend, right? This is not true for all Catholics everywhere, all Catholic parishes, but I would love to see more community. Um, and, and it's there, it's there, it's there. It's just harder to find. Uh, it's harder to discern where it's kind of like in your face, <laughs> in the at least in the evangelical church that or the churches that I have attended, right? Where it's like there's small groups, and it's like you got to join a group, and <laughs> hey, you know, and it's just like boom, it's like wow, you know, it's hard to kind of escape that where you can be an anonymous participant in the holy sacrifice of the mass and attend mass actually regularly and not be in community. Mm-hmm. 
uh, or experience community life mm-hmm. with with your other fellow parishioners. It's easier to do that within a Catholic church than it is within a Protestant church. And of course, I'm I'm, I'm generalizing here, folks. Right? I'm generalizing here. It's all going to be dependent on the parish or the church, and in one sense, right? And I'm also I'm also assuming that like the Catholic Church does offer some type of either like workshops or additional mm-hmm. uh, ways yes. of connecting with that particular church community throughout the week and not just on a Sunday. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That is definitely accurate. Okay. Um, Lewis, that's definitely accurate. Now, now, now that was just some of the things that I missed, right? Mm. Some of the things that I missed as an evangelical Protestant. And um, now, of course, there are many treasures, many beautiful things that have opened up for me as a Catholic. But to your question about the experience of being friends with Protestants and evangelicals mm-hmm. uh, as a Catholic. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting experience, right? When I made the journey, uh, as you know, I sent out a letter. I've informed, I, you know, I informed a number of people, uh, partly because I was a pastor. You know, I served as a pastor um, and, and so held a considerable amount of weight uh, so, so a social capital, um, and I didn't want to scandalize people. Mm-hmm. Right? It's already bad enough for many people. It's like that you go and you want to do it in a way that's you know that that's charitable, right? Um, and it's been a journey. Uh, for the most part, the responses have been great. Um, really, no one came to me and said, "Joe, you're making a bad move." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm grateful for that. But there are people who kind of like I know they were they kind of looked at me sideways and they didn't mm-hmm. want to say things, you know. And there's all that there. And there's some folks that that didn't, you know, they they, they don't talk to me anymore. Or, they, or they'll they're they're there, but they keep their distance. Oh, really? now, you know. So there's all of mm-hmm. that there too. And yeah, yeah. Do you think like people like that within the Protestant circle, like they don't view you as a pastor anymore, like or you know, like is there like a shift in yeah. how they view you? You think? I think so. I think so. You know, it's funny because some people still call me, some folks from, from New Life uh, will say, Pastor Joe, you know, and they know I'm a Catholic, <laughs> you know, and um, it's fine. You know, they, they know, they know. Um, and I think, you know, some, of course, some others are like, oh, well, I guess you're no longer a pastor. You're no longer Protestant. So how do I address mm-hmm. you? But they still have this, um, how can I put this uh at least how i experienced them as uh you know almost kind of like a deep respect almost reverence mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. you know even though i'm i'm a lay catholic mm-hmm. now <laughs> i'm not a protestant pastor uh so you know there's all these interesting social dynamics that unfold with a shift from one ecclesial community to another uh and i'm just highlighting some of the things that that have stood stood out to me yeah um you have started conducting your uh, online Zoom Bible study or through the Word Bible study. And I I think it's a great example of you're holding on to kind of both communities in a way because I've attended and I've seen like during parts of the Bible study, um, you started to incorporate um, some of the Catholic tradition. And I'll, I'll notice some people participating and understanding the mm-hmm. particular prayer. And then there are others who, you know, like me, like myself, are just kind of silently just appreciating these prayers, but not necessarily understanding um, yeah. why this particular prayer um, and and the, some of the prayers that come out of the Catholic church. Um, mm-hmm. I still consider you a pastor in the sense that like, 
the fruit of what you do and and the the way that you walk alongside others like in their journey it does feel pastoral mm. i understand why you wouldn't call yourself a pastor now uh being in the catholic church well would you like how do you cuz yeah, yeah like what would you say to that yeah that's a great question, Louis. You know, and thank you. Thank you so much for those words. You know, I, I do see myself as having a pastoral heart, you know, I, very much so. And the church, the Catholic Church recognizes that, that that the laity can indeed have um, a pastoral heart and mm. a pastoral uh, even vocation mm. as a lay leader, you mm. know. Um, so, you know, you can have that gifting or that that, that gift mix that can help come along, that, that can help really grow the church, mm. you know, within my particular vocation, the vocation of other lay leaders. You know, I've thought about, and I, I'm still discerning whether or not God may be calling me into the diaconate ministry the, the, to become a deacon within the Catholic Church. Mm. You can be married. Uh, uh, it's years of training. Mm. Um, I would serve uh, the Eucharist um, uh, along with the priest. I cannot offer the Eucharist because only the priest can do that or the bishop. Uh, but I could serve. I could serve the table. I can preach <laughs> in mass. I can offer homilies, um, and of course, I could marry. I could baptize. I could do a couple other things as a deacon. So I, you know, I'm discerning that as well. But yes, I I, I see myself uh, as very much having a pastoral heart. Um, that's not going to go away because I'm a Catholic, and and I bring my gifts and and all the wonderful treasures and learnings that I've received as a Protestant into the Catholic Church to help serve the fullness of the faith. But for me, that doesn't mean cutting ties with my Protestant past. God forbid. God forbid. That would even, in fact, be contrary, in my reading, to the Second Vatican Council. Um, these are my brothers and sisters in the faith. You are a brother in the faith. Yes, I am in a different, I'm part of a different ecclesial community, which I see as the fullness of the faith, but we have a lot in common, right? We have a lot in common. Um, and we ought to walk side by side mm -hmm. precisely because of that. And so what I am, what I try to do is be intentional when I uh, hold my Bible studies, which right now are on Zoom, um, and it's a, unapologetically a Catholic Bible study, but there are folks uh, like mm -hmm. you, Louis, uh, that, that come uh, who, who are Protestant or may find themselves in a different kind of ecclesial community, mm -hmm. and they're getting much from it. And I, and I praise God, I thank God. Uh, for that, and 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 it, it, I think it's in t it's a testament to the the grace of God, mm. you know, the grace of God, the love of God. Mm. That being said, it's an unapologetic. Uh, I, I you know I, I teach it as a Catholic. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. un unapologetically Catholic, um, uh, and 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 so I I create space for my Protestant brothers and sisters when they have a question or they come with their own spin. They, they can definitely come. All are welcomed. Mm -hmm. All are welcomed, and and I think this is what this is what Catholicism looks like when it's done. I don't want to say done well, like I'm the standard bearer, of, you know. Like, but mm. but I think you know Catholicism means universal, right? Mm. Catholic universal. Mm. Uh, this is kind of profound embracing, not a false ecumen uh, ecumenism, right? Where it's just like, oh yeah, we're all the same. No, there are real distinctions, mm -hmm. and those distinctions. Um, are to be noted and to be maintained because they are true to our identity. Mm. But rather than seeing them as walls, how can we in fact see them as potential bridges mm -hmm. to, to for us to share, mm -hmm. right? For us to share. Um, and, and I think that's that's how I approach it. 
Would you say, I mean, this is probably a loaded statement, but it kind of came to mind Mm -hmm. in response to what you were just sharing that like between Catholic and Protestant, there's more that we have in common than there are differences. Because for me, it's like the, the more in common part refers to the belief in Jesus Christ being the Son of God, but the belief in the Holy Trinity and, and some of the stuff we talk about in the Bible study, which is the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. I feel like that element is, is more than the, the differences in how we carry out liturgy and, and how we interpret the other aspects of Christianity. Is that fair mm. or is that, am I missing mm. the mark by, by just kind of reducing it to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's such a great question, Lewis. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say the following yes and no, right? Yes and no. You know, there's a, there's a, um, kind of like a both and to this and um, it's because it's because it's complicated. So what do I mean when I say yes? Yes uh, to the extent, to the degree, um, that, that you, um, affirm the Nicene Creed, uh, you affirm the Apostles' Creed means that you and I are in communion to that extent. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that is a substantial communion. That's a substantial communion. There's a real communion happening there. Mm -hmm. Um, it's imperfect. It's not fully realized, because, and this is where the right the other part of it is, there are very real important differences. So the our communion, uh, full communion, is actualized in the participation of the body and blood, soul, mm. and divinity of our mm. Lord. Right, uh, participation in the, the sacrifice of the mass. Mm. Uh, real communion is communion with the bishops of the world that are in union with the bishop of Rome. Mm. You know, um, the sea of, the sea of Peter. Uh, the place where Peter and Paul were mar- martyred, and and all of the traditions that come out of that, right? Um, that that would be um, a fuller or the fullness of communion, right? Um, and and of course, with that, all a bunch of other things that are not minimal, right? That are not small or myopic, mm. right? Um, like for instance, the nature of the church. You know, that the church is triumphant, the church is militant on the, on the earth, it's triumphant in glory, and is a purgatory, there's a suffering church that, that is be, right, undergoing purgation. And all of that there, and all of the cosmology, and all of it, right, there's a lot mm-hmm. there that um, we probably wouldn't be in communion about. Mm. Now, you know, th- this, and, and, and that would need to be explored further, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, what, okay, what does that then mean? But yes, there is something, there are key elements that unite us. Mm-hmm. But you also got to remember, Lewis, that when, when I speak of Protestantism, it's really isms, because they're different denominations, mm-hmm. as we all mm-hmm. know, right? Mm-hmm. So, so let's say new life has a theology that is distinct than the church down the block mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. it, Right. And have different beliefs about a number of things, key things, cardinal things about salvation, the role of work and grace, the ro- even down to who Jesus is. What does it mean that Jesus is hypostatically united, mm-hmm. that his divinity and humanity, you know what I mean? Like all of these things, both big and small, which in our kind of postmodern context, we tend to want to relegate to, oh, and all, and all things in love, unity, mm-hmm. but you know. The things that are not so important, we can have differences, and that's part of the democratic perspective. And 
But that's a very modern slash postmodern infection mm. that 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 the church has never held on mm-hmm. to. Right. Saint Paul says, "Be be united in all things." Mm. Okay. You know. Yeah. Um. And and unity is real unity. Uh. But that doesn't necessarily mean uniformity across everything. Mm-hmm. So that is to say. Uh, even if we're both Catholic, your, your devotional life may look very different than mm-hmm. mine, right? I may go to Mass on a daily basis because I'm able to do that, and I pray uh, the entire rosary a day, let's mm-hmm. say, all, all four mysteries. While your devotional life, you just attend Mass on Sunday, and you you you're, you know, you know have other kinds of prayer. Maybe you have a particular devotion to St. Jude and, and our Blessed Mother in a different way under a different title. Mm-hmm. and So there's, uh, of course, diversities, mm-hmm. And, and that's the beauty of Catholicism. But the diversities are not divorces. They're not disruptions. They're not disunities. Mm-hmm. Because at the real essentials, there is a real unity. Where for the Catholic and the Protestant or others, it's it's different. Mm-hmm. You yeah, see? This, so. this reminds me of uh, the last question I want to ask you. Uh, you alluded to Catholicism having a, a peppered history um, I would say blemishes within the organization of some very real and and horrifying scandals that have happened within the Catholic Church or the Catholic organization. Yeah. How do you as a Catholic kind of reconcile your relationship with the Catholic Church with the the blemished past of the Catholic Church? Yeah, what a great question. And I think it's a needed question, right? It's an important um Talking point. This is something I could, of course, expand into a whole nother episode, but I'll say the following. That, um, number one, I had a lot of stereotypes about Catholicism before I became Catholic. I had a, you know, I didn't, my history was not really up to snuff uh, when it came to what the church indeed is, was, or is responsible for and what she was not responsible for in a certain Mm -hmm. sense. So that helped clarifying a, a number of things when I actually dug in and I kind of really went into it. Now, I'm not a historian, but just, you know, having recourse to a number of resources and whatnot was really helpful. Um, but for the things that the church has done, how do I handle that? How do I even remain a Catholic, knowing the injustices that were perpetrated by the church? Mm-hmm. It, a lot has to be said about what the church is, Right. The church is holy, the church is pure, the church is virginal, but the church is also made up of sinners. And so there is a paradox, there's a paradox within a a healthy ecclesiology, a healthy understanding of the church, a deep paradox that has to be, as it were, maintained, a both and. Mm. Um, I read the Gospels, the weakness the brokenness, the failings of the apostles, even after Pentecost, uh, and see that extended throughout the history of the church where the church really drops the ball, Mm. really drops the ball. Um, Peter choosing not at one instance to eat with the Gentiles because he wanted to not scandalize his Jewish brothers and sisters. And then like Paul had to call him out Mm -hmm. on that and, all other kinds of stuff, right? You have these racial things there. You have all this, all, all kinds of things that, that go up and down the history that are really dark. Mm-hmm. So Jesus says from the mouth of the Lord, uh, many will 
call me Lord, Lord, and come to me in the last day on the day of judgment saying, oh, we've done this in your name. We've done that. And he'll say, I'll turn to them and say, I never knew you. Mm. I never knew mm -hmm. you. Um, Jesus says, uh, tell a tree by its fruit, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation. There are a number of things that we would need to discern. So that being said, um, if Jesus is speaking the truth here and the apostles are following suit, I should expect to find actually scandals in the church. I should expect that mm. uh, because it's, 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 it's just a realization of what Jesus foretold. Mm -hmm. Like there are going to be many wolves in sheep's mm -hmm. clothing and that's going to manifest itself in many different ways. Now, one may ask the question, but how do I justify remaining in a church uh, that, that is guilty in, in, in this regard to, to many wild and crazy and really sad scandals mm -hmm. of, of all kinds mm -hmm. of things. We would need to, in order to address that, we would need to think about, well, what does it mean to be part of any organization, right? Every organization on the planet uh, has its peppered history. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were talking about the MTA. <laughs> we're yeah. talking about the DOE, the Department of Education in New York City. Mm -hmm. we, could talk, we could talk about the United States of America. Mm -hmm. We could talk about any any organization, political or not, and all organizations are one form of politics, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. everything has a peppered history. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to start my own thing. Mm -hmm. No, you redeem it from an end. You, you reform it and you acknowledge the sins of the past. You say, no, you know, we, we effed up here. We dropped the mm -hmm. ball here. Mm -hmm. Yes. We, yeah. They, uh, you know, our ancestors messed up. And we acknowledge that and we recognize that, in fact, this was never the teaching mm. of our organization mm -hmm. or really the, never the teaching of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Like the gospel precepts are actually contrary to that. So even if you see the church doing horrible things for a very long mm -hmm. time, it was always running uh, in contradistinction, in opposition, in fact, to the gospel precepts, mm -hmm. you know? So that's, the, that's how I hold it. It's like, yeah, you know, it's effed up. It's all kinds of things, but hey, you know? Mm there's a way forward mm -hmm. i don't have to i don't have to say okay i need to bounce and 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 start my own mm -hmm. thing <laughs> i go and start my own thing and first of all what does that even mean in terms of authority and everything mm -hmm. else and then number two i'm not immune mm -hmm. my organization whatever i start is not going to be immune mm -hmm. right because we're all full and we're all broken mm -hmm. and so there's a tension there there's a tension that that needs to be um held and 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 walked through with with a, a real acknowledgement mm -hmm. of of past failings uh, but with a hope to the future, mm -hmm. uh, without needing a schism or or reinventing wheels mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, Joe, I just wanted to give you the last word, and um, I feel like mm -hmm. you're in a very unique, like your story and your journey through the faith has put you in a very unique perspective of seeing uh, two large faith groups, and you've interacted, and you are currently in the midst of interacting with both faith groups as you um, are identifying as a Catholic, but you're still like doing God's work in both uh, Catholic communities and Protestant communities. Um, we're currently in, you know, some very unique times with some very real harsh challenges and, and so many conflicts and stuff. Can you, Give us a, a word of hope, like from your unique perspective, from your journey and, and the way that you've kind of have been experiencing Christ and, and sharing the love of Christ. Can you uh, just kind of give a, a word of hope to both of these faith groups as we move forward? 
Saint Therese of Lisieux, who is known also as the Little Flower, who happens also to be the doctor, a doctor of the Church, the Catholic Church, um, and in fact is the patron saint of missionaries, though she never left her convent. Right, mm-hmm. very fascinating. She comes to mind right now uh, as a word of hope, as a word of hope. Because what she teaches us is the way of littleness, the way of meekness, to remain small, to remain but a child of the Father, of the Eternal Father. And I pray that I remain and continue to grow evermore into this meekness and humility that St. Therese of Lisieux reveals uh, to us. And I would say both to my Catholic brothers and sisters and to my my Protestant brothers and sisters and to all, Mm. that when we remember who we really are, that we are but creatures here on earth, and that there's an eternal reality that substantiates all things, and that that eternal reality is love, and that love has a face, Love has a face, Christ. Mm. And if we but remember that and seek to follow him, we will all uh, grow together. Now, as a Catholic, I believe that that means eventually coming into the fullness of what that love has, in fact, revealed But that fullness is marked by a posture of open arms and open hands, ready to receive all. It is not a fullness of you're out and I'm in. Um, God forbid that mindset ever um, is found within me and within my Catholic brothers and sisters. God forbid, because then we will have become the Pharisees of our time. And um, it's not as clear-cut in that sense. So, you know, to remain small, to remain humble, to grow in our humility as we seek to follow the one Lord Jesus Christ um, is, I think, very important for our times. And... um, it's the way forward. It's I think I think it is the way forward. The way forward. Um, I really do.